Welcome back to the What's Inside podcast or the What's Inside show. I am the host, Dan Markham. If you don't know me, I'm from the YouTube channel What's Inside, which is why the name is What's Inside podcast. I think this is like our eighth or ninth podcast right now. So if you haven't already, check it out on Apple iTunes or on Spotify, or we even have the YouTube channel What's Inside podcast. So it's all over the place. Today, we have a really fun guest today. This is Josh Taylor from Product Evo is his company. And the reason why we have Josh on here is because he's actually somebody that I've known for a few years and he's been a neighbor, been a good friend, but also has a really interesting backstory on what he does for business. He makes things, he creates things, but he and but he's kind of behind the scenes. Like a lot of people don't know that he exists or that his company even exists because he does things like our what's inside backpack that we made that we sell on our merch channel. It's you can find it in the links below or whatever. It's what's inside merch.com. We have a backpack that we custom made. And I know a lot of YouTubers go in and they they like make a bag and they put a logo on it and they just sell it and they they'll buy like whatever $2.99 backpack and then throw a logo on it and sell it for 40 bucks. We decided to actually make something fresh and new and great, but then we also have Hydro Flask water bottles that we made. So anyway, so those are just a few things that we made. And so that's what Product Evo does. That's what Josh does. So today I want to talk about a lot of different topics if we can. Some interesting things that I've always been interested in, like how this world works and like what it looks like in this world, working with people in different countries and anything. So anyway, with that long intro, Josh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. That was quite the intro. <laughs> it was long. I ramble a lot. So, all right, so we've known each other for a few years. You've done a lot of products. I think the thing that intrigued me the most when we started talking is we were actually at a scout camp out. We had to drive for like two hours. Yep. And I didn't even know what you did for work. And we started talking about stuff. And I knew you were like big into outdoors. Like even right now, you've got like brown pants on that look <laughs> like you could get them wet and they would dry super fast. I'm That's surprised true. they don't have like a zipper you can come off. <laughs> but you seemed like a really outdoors kind of guy. And then it turns out you made a bunch of products for outdoor companies, right? Yeah, that's it. That's how we got our start is in the outdoor industry for that reason, because I love the outdoors. This isn't my first rodeo. It's not my first business. And like every good thing in life, you learn by screwing stuff up royally a few times. So So how did you get into this side of it where you're like, you have a team where you're getting sourcing stuff from around the world and creating products? Yeah, it was uh, completely accidental honestly, to start with. So I got hired to um, to run marketing for a company down here in St. George is what originally brought us down here. And uh, we came down, when I met with the owner, I guess before I came down, we were, I looked at the business model and I saw the product. I'm like, this is a fad product. I mean, this is here today, gone tomorrow. It's like a slap yeah. bracelet kind of level of fad, yeah. you know? Okay. And um, so I asked him, I said, okay, what's, what's the strategy here behind this? Because you, you can't build an enduring business on this. And he had a good enough answer to get me to move across the state. And he's like, well, what we're going to do is open a lot of retail doors with this first product, and then we'll follow it up with more long-term products. I'm like, great, let's do it. Well, I got down here a year into it. I realized his idea of long-term products was more variations on the same thing. Oh, okay. I was like, oh man, the writing's on the wall because some of the other big competitors we had were starting to go bankrupt because the industry was drying up predictably fast. Okay. So I, I reached out and I said, hey, look, with the customer base that we have and the people we're selling to, like we've really branded ourselves very well in this sports and fitness lifestyle brand. So why don't we come out with other sports and fitness products that are obviously going to be more long-term and um, came up with a few ideas for him and he was good enough to kind of green light those projects but uh, 
nobody at the company really had experience with them. So I'm like, I'll tackle it, you know? So there you go. I I dove into product development for the first time kind of on my own and figured it out. But what I found was um, with the sales and marketing background I had, I was so comfortable talking to customers and figuring out what they wanted, what they didn't want. And so it just seemed very intuitive to me to be like, okay, well, let's just build that. Let's just give them what they want. And we did. And lo and behold, the products were successful. And I was like, aha, light bulb went off. Like, this is fun. This is is you making it for this guy's company. For that guy's company. Yeah. But um, being in sales where you kind of have to figure out like how to take the product that exists and map it to what the customer wants and, and bridge that just giving them what they wanted seems so intuitive and easy to me. I'm like, there is a ton of leverage in this. I, you know, I, I've got this creative and artistic streak. I've always had it, um, actually considered being a, uh, a conceptual design artist for like movies and stuff. I was surprised. Like when we made the backpack, you would do like these drawings and you came up with these ideas and it, I'm sure you have like a team of people that help out with stuff now, but a lot of it was you. You're like, what if we did this? What if we added this little thing right here? And it that's something I would, and you're like drawing it, sketching it out. Yeah. That's a skill. That's good. That was fun, man. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what launched me into it was, was that we launched them. They turned out to be very successful products. I was like, this is fun. This is way more fun than I've had in business so far to date. So let's do it. Let's, let's jump into this. And so does that original business, are they partners with you now with this or did they you are not. branch off on no, your No, I, I ended up uh, leaving that business and, um, I did talk to, I got a partner for my new company that had been manufacturing things in China for about 17 years because I wanted to make sure, you know, we, we had substance to what we were claiming to be able to do. And so he partnered with me and uh, we just went like I, I had a lot of background in the outdoor industry. It's what I loved. I'm like, man, if I could just, I'm a gear nerd anyway, if I could just help people design better gear, yeah. this is going to be awesome. Cause I remember when we were doing the car, you were telling me like you've created like a shower thing for, for like campers and stuff. And I was like, well, that's cool. And when you created it, you're like, well, we did this and that you made it innovative to different things. So like, what's something that you're really proud of, like a product that you've made? Yeah. So yeah, one of them is the shower. It's really fun to see. So it was, um, it's called the road shower and it was originally invented by a guy named Joel and he launched that company. It was kind of fun because actually that same camping trip we went on, there was one parked like the next campground over. So it was fun to see. It's always fun oh, to see products out in the yeah. wild that you help, you know, bring to market. But um, yeah, that's one that uh, was really fun to work on. And then Yakima ended up acquiring that company. And so we still continue to work with Yakima that, to this day on that hmm. product and you see them everywhere. Um, another fun one is just in the disc golf world. Uh, we've got a cu- customer named dynamic disc. So we do a ton of products for those guys, uh, that it, if you're a disc golf player, nerd, aficionado, like you'll know dynamic disc, all the PDGA baskets that are out in the world. Those, those are us. We're behind. Oh, really? Them, so, yeah. My friend Brody Smith, he's a YouTuber and he was trying to get it. He was a Frisbee, ultimate Frisbee golfer guy. Okay. And he would just do like ultimate Frisbee. Well, first he like won a national championship with the university of Florida Frisbee golf. And then he started doing like Frisbee trick shots on YouTube and he blew up. He was pretty big. Like he'd do cool things like go to Perth, Australia, throw a Frisbee off of this giant bridge out into the ocean. And these guys on a speedboat would be cruising along and they would like, this guy jumped out of the boat and like caught it in the air. Super cool. That's awesome. So anyway, he did that. And then he got into golf, like actual golf for a while and thought I could be a professional golfer. And then after a couple of years, he's like being, this is really hard. And then he was like, Oh, Frisbee golf. 
I'm already good at Frisbee. <laughs> I understand golf. And now I think it was just this last week I saw on Twitter that he just got his professional card or whatever it is. Oh, like wow. he's an official, but he does sell a ton of ultimate Frisbee um, or, or not ultimate Frisbee, but dis- Frisbee golf discs that are like his branded things Very just cool. in the last year and a half. So, um, but those nets are interesting. That's a really fun sport to it's, do. Oh man, it's fun. And I'm horrible at it, but I enjoy doing it with the family. And it's it's crazy how good some of those guys are. Oh, it's ridiculous. Fun to watch them. Okay, so this is the thing I've been interested in because I've seen a lot of YouTube videos where people are like, you could make all this money on drop shipping. And they'll just show you like how to go into Alibaba Express and like do something and you sell it and then it arrives. And I've bought things before where I've seen the website. Actually, these right here, these lights I was advertised to on Facebook because they saw that I was a YouTube creator. And I bought them and it took like eight weeks to arrive. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so dumb. I told those guys just made so much money off of it. You're not doing drop shipping, but what is it? You're actually going to the manufacturers, talking to them, vetting out ones that are good and not good. Um, tell it, I want to know, like, what is one of the worst experiences you've had with a factory where you've said, we're not going to work with this factory? Oh man. <laughs> There's been a few. This this happens more than once, but yeah, you're right. What we do is 100% custom. Um, we don't do any just like buy and sell stuff off of Alibaba. It's not, yeah. it's not our style. We want to do stuff that's the more complex, the better. But yeah, one of the worst experiences I went to, because we always, we, we not only audit the factories, but we usually audit a little deeper in the supply chain. So like the suppliers to the factories. And I was in China, Northern China once and you know, we, we visited the assembly factory and the welding factory, and then we were going to look at uh, the factory that did e-coating, which is just a coating you put on the metal to make it more rust-proof because this was going to be an outdoor product. Dan, I walked into this place, and it, most most of the Chinese factories we walk into are generally on the up and up. Like, to their credit, they generally are. I walked into this place, man, and it was like dirt and boards on the floor and they they had these little dirt planks going over these acid pits that they were or wood planks going over the acid pits that they were dipping the metal into it was the most poorly lit place i've been to in my oh life i mean my. a couple dingy like swinging light bulbs and here's like all these acid pits all over like most <laughs> of the workers are shirtless shoeless walking through this place and i was like no dude we're we're never doing business with these guys and i told our factory like we're not buying from them if they keep working with these guys and and so that's that's one example of like kind of the extreme when it comes to like the human conditions in the factory there's other like shady and dodgy stuff that goes on with just like how trustworthy are they but overall from the i have a few friends like there's even a youtuber jace's company's called product or whatever and he does a similar thing mostly for youtubers and stuff and he does take those trips and he goes out there and vets out the factories i think for that reason because i would imagine most of them are good yeah most people think of like chinese sweatshops and you think that this is what's happening manufactured in china it's terrible quality they're just packing them in there they're paying them like 10 cents a day or whatever but I would imagine most of them are good, but then you do get some of those outliers that are just yep. not good. And so that's kind of the problem I have a little bit with just like doing drop shipping where you're like, yes, I'm going to make $30 off of each one of these lights that gets shipped to these YouTubers, but you don't know how this is being processed. For sure. Like there's made in China, but then there's also made in China. That's just like really taking advantage of people. Yep. And so... And sometimes, yes, you have to pay a little bit more, but at least you know the working conditions are good. The product's going to be a quality product. For sure. And there's all kinds of rules I didn't know about. There was one thing you asked us about on our backpack. You're like, do you want it to be 
EDTA or I don't know, some yeah. weird thing. Yeah, it was. You want this? Because yep. in California, there's a law. You can't do this. I'm like, what are you, what is even this <laughs> thing? And it's just like some coding that you put on or don't put on, right? Yeah. So there's, there's different materials compliance specifications. So the big one for the U.S. is California Prop 65. Um, and Europe's got their, their standards as well too, like different CE standards that they've got to hit. So yeah, one of the things we like to talk to people about is like, what standard do we need to hit primarily driven by where are we going to sell this product? If it's going to be sold in Europe, we want to hit the European reach standards. It's going to be sold here. We want to hit the California prop 65 standards. And a lot of people that are just very price driven, like give me the lowest price. Don't even think to ask about that. And sure enough, it's cheaper to buy materials that don't meet spec. Um, but yeah. you want to make sure, you know, if you're going to put your name on a product, obviously you want to make sure that product's going to be good and not cause cancer for somebody, you know, right. with the materials that, that might not reach those standards. So yeah, one of the things we look into. Okay. So if you're a YouTuber and you're a content creator and you're somebody that's looking to make a product or you're just somebody that has a good idea and you're like, I think I have a good idea. What are some of the things that you look at when somebody comes to you and says, I have this idea, I have this project I want to do? Mm. Like, how do you, what, do you have any like red flags or good things that you look at that you're like, okay, I think this is going to work because of this, or I think it's not going to work because of this? Oh, do we? Yes. <laughs> it's actually, we have a pretty extensive internal checklist that we use. Okay. Let's, let's give some of the key points, good advice to somebody that might be watching this. It's like, I, I want to do this product, but maybe you can weed them out a little bit so that they know it's a good idea or a bad idea just off of a few things. For sure. So one of the first things I look at that's the most obvious is, does this product at least have a guaranteed market of one? Meaning, is is the founder or owner, the person I'm talking to, genuinely enthusiastic to use their own product? Or do they have a close affinity to somebody like a, a mother, father, grandfather, grandmother um, that could dramatically benefit from that product? you would be shocked at how often the answer is no. You'd be shocked at how often they're like, well, I think I can make money on it. Or, you know, I, I think somebody out there will buy it. Well, if you're not going to buy your own product, why are you doing it? It's right. so hard to bring yeah. a product to market, build a brand, build a marketing channel. Like, you've got to love that thing. You really do. Or, mm-hmm. or really have somebody that you deeply care about that, that's going to benefit from it. You're not Procter & Gamble. You know, you don't have, like, deep pockets and, and a whole R&D team to do this. Like, yeah. You're small, you're scrappy. Even even existing businesses have to be small and scrappy. And, and For sure. they've got to know that that product's going to have a home when they yeah. launch it. So okay. that's number one. Okay. Number two that we look at is uh, business experience. So will I, will I work with somebody that doesn't have existing business experience occasionally? But there, man, you've, <laughs> it, it takes some effort. It takes some scrappiness to go build a sales channel, a marketing channel, a mm-hmm. distribution channel to get it out there. And so if you're, if you're not in love with the product you're bringing to market and you have no existing customer network or or marketing reach, then that's a tough sell. That's, that is tough. that's a tough sell. So People just think the product's going to sell, it some, sell itself sometimes. They do. They just throw it on Amazon. It's going to go. Well, it's actually, it takes a bit of work to it tell does. people like to see it. Yes. Okay. So are you passionate about it? Does the, do you have a one, at least one person that would want this product? Seems pretty simple, but I'm sure people are blinded by their good idea that will Absolutely. make tons of money. The other things we look at is, can they clearly articulate a competitive advantage? for that product. Um, again, so often, no, they can't. They're like, well, it's just a good idea. Well, why is it a good idea? What are your competitors doing? How is this better? 
you'd be shocked at how often like while I'm on the phone with somebody, I'm Googling their idea and pulling up products on Amazon and Google that like are directly what they're saying. And it's like, well, how? Like, okay, let's let's go back to Procter and Gamble. If Procter and Gamble, this massive company, or fill in the blank, if uh, I don't know, like uh, Apple is already doing this, then what makes you think you can compete with Apple? Yeah. And again, shocking how few people actually think through that. And you can, you can compete with Apple. Apple doesn't want to go after every product out there. Could you be complimentary to Apple? Could you be complimentary to Procter & Gamble? Or or is this something where you're filling a need that is for a niche market that maybe they're overlooking? Is it Does it happen often where people come to you and it, it really is like a brand new, fresh idea? Or a lot of the ideas that people come to you, it's just like a small tweak off of an existing product? Most ideas are small tweaks, small to large tweak off an existing product. It's it's They're using something, they're the good ones are using something they're frustrated with the results they're getting and and often they genuinely have an idea of a way to make that product better and and more usable and that's awesome here's my dumb idea here's one dumb idea <laughs> this is just comes to mind because i've googled so many ideas i've started a few different businesses that have totally failed one of them i didn't ever start this is so random i I'm fun- i think it's funny i'm even saying this on the podcast so Leslie, when like when we first got married, it was really weird because I found she liked to take a pillow and put it between her legs when she sleeps so her knees don't touch. And then after a while, I started doing that. I'm like, this is really nice. My knees don't touch because I realized I would just grab the blankets and pull it. Yeah. And then one day I'm like, what if we created a thing that you just put on at night and it was like a pad on your uh, like a sleeve and then it had a pad there. And then you just, you solve that problem. This is brilliant. We should do it. <laughs> and then I went and Googled it and I looked it up and there actually was that and it was being sold on Amazon. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't really want to buy that. I'll just keep using the pillow. And so I think it's funny because going yes. back to your first thing about, is there a passion? Is there somebody that wants this? I thought it was a brilliant idea and something that would be so good and I could sell and make a lot of it. And then the second that I actually saw that the product existed, I didn't even care for it enough to buy it myself. Isn't that fascinating? And so it's funny how blinded you are with like, I invented this idea. It could be really good. And then at the same time it exists, you're like, I don't need it. I'll just use the pillow. I'm like, well, that's what everybody else would have done. Thank goodness I didn't spend $30,000 creating this stupid knee thing. And maybe I could have done a better job at marketing it than what those guys did and created some sort of desire inside of them where the, the customer is like... I do need that. And this is why it's better than a pillow. And it's only this much money. And think about maybe that's part of it. Maybe I just saw the product. So there is marketing, but it was like an aha moment for me where I'm like, just because you think it's a good idea doesn't mean that it's going to sell a bunch. <laughs> for sure. I totally spot on on all that. And that's like, that's honestly one of the best ways to start is, is doing exactly what you did and, and finding out like, does your passion wane for it pretty quick? Or are you like, yeah, I'm all in. Like I can do that. I'm going to, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to see if that's good. And I'm going to see how I can do it better. Very different response. So one question I've thought about with you is that you do, you come out with so many cool products for people. And sometimes I'm like, well, why don't you just make your own cool products and sell it? You know, marketing, you know, the supply chain, you can do that. Do you ever just say, all right, I'm not going to make products for other people. Let me just do it myself and just sell this stuff. Or, or are you doing that? I guess. Uh, Ish. You're, you're like poking some, some tender spots right now. (laughs) Good. No, it's good though. Like I welcome it. Yeah. So we do one of our own products right now, but, um, the reality of it is we're so freaking busy with customer projects 
that uh, it's just been hard to get to my own. But yeah, I've got I've got a backlog of my own products oh, that I'm bet. really wanting to bring to market. But uh, you know, the same thing, same rule applies for me. So you know, my my example, we've we've got this ultra lightweight backpack that uh, we brought to market, and the way it came about is I was backpacking in um, Yosemite. And I knew that we were going to do like this multi-day big trip, but there's going to be a couple of days we we're going to stop at base camps and, and then do day hikes from there. So I was researching like what I could use to carry like, you know, basic stuff, water bottle, camera, stuff like that on these day hikes. And I came across the Sea to Summit Ultrasil backpack, which packs into something. It's just like tiny little hand, hand held backpack. Mm-hmm. So I was stoked. I bought it. Um, so there was a guarantee market of one. I did buy it and yeah. used it and it was functional. I was happy with it. But what I found is it didn't hold a hydration bladder. And so I had to throw a big old heavy Nalgene water bottle in it. And it was like banging against my back. So there's no padding in this thing. And I was mm. like, this is good, but I mean, it's functional, but I didn't love it. So I came home. I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build one of these ultra lightweight packs and build a hydration sleeve into it. It seems so obvious. And so, you know, I'm running my company and I'm kind of doing this on the side and, and as I'm doing it on the side, it took us like two and a half years to get this product to market, which is pointless. It was only because it was always like the last thing that we worked on. Right. And by the time we got it to market, obviously I wasn't the only one that kind of saw this opportunity and, and I knew it was kind of red ocean at that point, but we went ahead and launched it anyway. And it's, it's been successful. It's very highly rated on Amazon, but, um, timing matters too. And it's just been harder, more competitive to get that thing to go. But so you're putting your customers first. You've got projects that you know you can make a certain amount of money off of it. And you already have a system in place. You just go with it. Have your team going. And then you go to Costa Rica for three months. Yeah. <laughs> he is leaving <laughs> in a few that. weeks. He's yep. going to, every summer, takes the family, which I really think is cool. Like, just go. You do have internet, so you will be working. Yep. But that's a good life, too. You don't always have to do... I take on everything in the world, but for sure, it's yeah. a balance, man. Okay. So I, one thing I'm really curious about is the last year with COVID and everything that's happened, how has that impacted your business? And like, Sheesh. I guess your customers, it would be the yeah. question because yeah. people are at home and they do have money to spend and some areas have really boomed and some areas haven't. There was a boat that was stuck in a canal for two weeks. Oh my gosh. There's tariffs back when Trump was doing like the tariffs taxes with China. Like there's so many weird regulations and strange pandemic and weird things going on in the world over the last year and a half. Like how has that impacted your customers? It's a good question. How nerdy and, and into the weeds <laughs> you want me to get? Cause we, we could go nerdy here, but uh, pull me back if I'm going too deep. So it's massive impact, crazy impact. So starting with Trump's tariffs, like a year and a half, two years ago now, um, really through whole industry sideways like threw them for a loop and it was it was chaos for probably six months because the tariffs they did there's there's four five total lists because you got 4a and 4b so five total lists of different tariffs that they rolled out and so every time they rolled out a new list it was just this new scramble and this new chaos to figure out what how the world markets were going to react like it it affected raw materials prices worldwide every time Mm -hmm. he rolled out tariffs not just because of the tariffs but because of how markets reacted to the tariffs. And so that ripples through the whole supply chain. So we have that leading into COVID, which, man, what a mess. Because COVID hit, let's call it consumers, that just hit all of us at home last year. And it's still affecting parts of the world this year. So I don't want to downplay that by any means. But 
you know, here where we're at in America, like we're very fortunate because we've got the vaccines being pretty widely distributed at this point and we're beginning to open back up. So a lot of the consumers are like, great, we're, we're through this. Well, what happened is because workers and consumers were home for a year, you've now got this delayed ripple effect in the supply chain. That's like somebody dropped an atomic bomb on the supply chain. It is Whoa. bonkers right now. Um, I would think even factories stopped having employees come in for a while. They I did. remember seeing those pictures of China and it was like all of a sudden the pollution was gone. Yeah. <laughs> like, whoa. Yeah. Okay, we're talking about global warming and like actually making a significant imp- impact on pollution. I'm like, I don't know that we could do that in our lifetime. And I'm like, oh, two weeks of a pandemic and all of a sudden we just cleaned up all of the emissions. Maybe we can do something about it. No, I'm yeah, and that's a total aside, but you're right. Like that blew my mind too, because I, f- yeah. I felt the same way. I'm like, yeah, we can work at this and maybe do better and then two weeks yeah. cleared so, up. So Okay, so back to the ta- the tariffs. Do you think like do the tariffs actually help? Like, was it a good idea to help grow American trade by putting these tariffs mm-hmm. on there? Or did it basically just slow things down for a little bit and now it's open back up and it didn't really help America in a way. Cause I feel like that's probably why they wanted to have happen is Trump was probably like, okay, if it's so cheap to build things there, then let's just make them more expensive. And then maybe American businesses will make stuff here. Yeah. So I'll try to stay out of the politics of that question as much as possible and get into like the, the, the on the ground response. Um, so no, they they in large part didn't bring jobs back to America. And part of the reason is, is that's that's a problem that's going to take a decade to solve and not a year to solve. Yeah. Because what people don't understand in China is they're not only competitive because of their labor rates, which in reality, their labor rates aren't that competitive anymore. Their mm. labor rates have gone up quite a bit. Wow. So where Ch- China start, wins is they're still very close to the, the like real raw materials, like iron ore and stuff like that, like raw, raw materials. And they take it from raw materials all the way through finished goods in like one city mile. You know, so their their entire country set up as a giant factory where raw materials are processed in one block and then they hand them down the street and they process them to the next thing. And then you've got welding or injection molding or whatever. And then you've got final assembly and then they're like the ports right there. So they just hand them off to the port and they oh go. And in America, it's like, OK, well, if you want raw materials, a lot of times those are still coming from China, depending on what the raw material is because of our environmental regulations, which are good by the way i fully support our environmental right, re- right. regulations and, I, and china's made a good move that way too but um but yeah so we have to import the raw materials and then we've got to process it let's say in, in la to to a certain level and then we got to ship it to philadelphia to get the next round and then we've got to like ship it to denver or kansas or somewhere in the middle, middle of the company to actually get uh distributed so there's, I mean, you add transportation cost, time cost, importing costs, everything to that. And it's just, it's hard to compete. That I've way. watched a documentary on Netflix. Leslie and I went to South Carolina a couple of weeks ago and we downloaded a bunch of stuff onto our iPads so we could not be bored on the plane. And one of them was about this little town, I think in Indiana, and they used to be a big, I think, GM manufacturer. Uh-huh. And then they shut down and then there, this Korean company bought it and they're trying to manufacture their cars here or do something. And it, and it was interesting to watch like the culture difference between the unions mm-hmm. here in the U.S., the, how hard they worked in the factories, and then you go over to Korea. It's either Korea. I think it was Korea. It was Korea or Japan. And they just 
they love their job so much. It's like their life. And they would live there for like six days a week yes. and work so hard. And they yep. would sing songs about their company. And every morning they'd get together in these meetings and, and, and just didn't translate over well. So like, yeah. first of all, you mentioned the supply chain where it's like product to the sea is, or, or sorry, not product, but like the old gold ore or the ore, iron ore, everything, like all the materials are on the, are all right there. But then also like the people work so yeah, hard. They do. Yep. And so we don't really have that in America. I love Americans. I love America, but it's hard to compete for a lot of reasons that maybe it just a tariff may not be the short. It's definitely short term, but that it's, makes sense. Long term, maybe that makes a difference. But yeah, if, if we had like a, a 10 year plan to bring jobs back, perhaps. But, you know, the thing with Americans that I absolutely love, like Americans are an unruly bunch. I love it. You I know, do, yeah, we America was founded on people rebelling. We're like, you know, we're done with England. Forget you guys. <laughs> exactly. Like, we're coming over here. We're doing it our way because exactly. we're, we're free-spirited. And and that's still true about Americans, and that's our competitive advantage. Like, mm-hmm. you will never outsource creativity. You won't. You can't. Like, Chinese will not beat us in creativity and ideation and entrepreneurship. The best companies still come from America. Do more of that. Like, that's what we do well. Like, expand that. Right. That's what we love to do anyway. Like, yeah, there's a reason American workers aren't as enthusiastic as Korean workers because most American workers would rather be on the creative creative side, you know? you know. That's true. So Making stuff. I love that. I love that about America. And I think it's interesting from the social media perspective. We've I've spoken a lot in Northern Ireland, in Amsterdam, and some of these other countries where people want to become YouTubers, but they do they, the, the obstacle, when I talk to them deeply about it, it's their obstacle that they, they'll, they'll mention all the time. And I've, I've even heard Gary Vaynerchuk talk to people about this, but culturally it's not okay to fail in some mm, of those countries yep. and it's embarrassing and your friends will make fun of you and your family will be disappointed in you. And it's hard to take that shame and to feel that where in America it's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this up there and, oh, it failed. So what? I made this dumb video about myself. So what? <laughs> I'll go make another one or I'll do something else. Yeah. And it allows us to actually be more creative and be okay with things. And people are okay with you failing. Like you, you got to fail a bunch of times in order to be successful and be creative. So yeah. I totally agree with you on that side of things. There's, there's things about Americans that we have that we let's lean into it. Yeah. Look at the companies that have come from here. I mean, Tesla now you've got get, Apple, Google, like there's a lot of huge companies that have just like started here in America. And a lot of it is because Amazon changed the world. They've totally changed the world. And so you're right. Maybe we just lean into the countries, let them be good. at, And and maybe to be fair, I think China's changed a lot over the last little while. I was born in the Philippines. I lived there for many years. Their culture has changed a lot. They were doing manufacturing. They're becoming more entrepreneurial. Like the internet is opening things up. And, yes. And people having some success is changing things. So maybe we don't, I don't know. It'd be great to have manufacturing here, but sometimes it doesn't make sense all the way. And it's yeah. and it's not, I think there's too big of a negative negative stigma on made in China versus made in USA. Like sometimes it's, it's okay to have products that are sourced from other countries and, and pieces and stuff. So, yeah, they do. I mean, a lot of people don't realize you're like your Apple devices that have such a, a good reputation for high quality. They're made in China. So they can do very high quality stuff. They can do very cheap stuff. Americans can do very high quality stuff. Americans can do very cheap stuff. You know, it's, it's yeah. about the people behind the product and um and yeah here in america like speaking of manufacturing i think there are certain industries that we do need to bring 
back here. I think the pandemic taught us that. Like one of the things I wasn't even aware of, I mean, you might know this with your background, is how much of our pharmaceuticals were manufactured in China. I didn't realize. I thought a lot of that was done here. And I'm, I'm, I'm the guy over in China, like working on stuff. That's one where like, hey, maybe we do need to bring some of that back just for security. Like yeah. let's, let's learn and let's bring some of those back. But those are also like high-end, high-tech manufacturing jobs. Perfect for America. Bring it back. That is good. I mean, I've been to Research Triangle Park in North Carolina, and that's where they do a lot of the research. When I worked for Biogenetic and Pfizer, they all have these factories there. And so one of the drugs that I sold the hemophilia drug, like that one was all in America pretty much. And I got to see that process, but yeah, there's a lot of pills I'm sure that are international. Yeah. That would be nice to have here. Yeah. Anyway, mm. just interesting. Learn. What is interesting. We're learning. Did the boat in the canal cause any problems for you? <laughs> yes. Yes. Like really did. It really it, was a thing. It, it wasn't just a meme. Dude. So this year, like, <laughs> I mean, everybody's talking about how crazy 2020 was like yeah. 2021 for me is like taking 2020 to the whole no okay. another level. <laughs> so in the in the 7 years I've been doing this, we like the ocean transportation part of the the journey is like whatever, that's just like an afterthought. Like mm-hmm. we ship it and it gets here, we unload it. I had two cargo ships sink this year with our product on it. They sunk. They literally sunk. sunk. They literally sunk to the bottom of the ocean with our product on it. <laughs> what? Twice in six months. How? Those big old cargo the, ships? The huge ones. They just tipped and dumped cargo. And we had we, both of them that sunk this year. We had product on. So it was just like, no. Where were these at? Oh, I, I somewhere in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. You know, I, I can't remember the did exact Did it fully location. sink or did it just shake enough that some of them fell off? One of them fully sunk. One of them capsized and lost a lot. But then they were able to save a lot of the cargo. So <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but oh. I've never heard of something like that. That's so funny. We were in, um, in North, what is it? Savannah, Georgia. And I was blown away by the ships. Like I even made like an Instagram story. We were going to do a boat tour and take, I didn't realize Savannah, Georgia receives more goods, more goods than any other shipping port in all of North America. Really? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even guess that. Yeah. It's not more ships, but it's the most amount of goods. And it's just these massive ships are just coming through the city and going in. And there's like Mercedes Benz everywhere, like all these cars everywhere. There was this one that just had tractors, like big old backhoes just coming off for the both days we kept coming and they just kept unloading them but the ships would just come through i didn't realize that but i was i was blown away at how tall those ships are like we were in the city and in savannah it's an older city and then down by the river it does drop down maybe 40 feet and you have this old river walk road with these old the oldest buildings from like the 1700s that are there and then there's just that river and so we were maybe five or six blocks from the river. You didn't even realize the river was down there. We hear the horn go so loud. And then I look and you see this, these cargo containers, shipping containers that are taller than any building in the city. Oh my gosh. And it's just like slowly going by down the city street. I, I was blown away. So yeah, that does make sense. They just tip over. So you have the two ships that sink. And then the canal, when the canal, when you saw that, did you laugh at the meme or you're like, this is crazy? Or did you instantly know I instantly this is going to be a problem? I knew. And what's so what's crazy is I instantly knew. I'm like, this is bad. <laughs> this is but bad. I'm like, okay, it's in this Suez Canal that's mostly going to Europe. Like maybe, maybe, fingers crossed, we're going we're gonna to get around this one. But no, like three days later, my main shipping company calls me. They're like, yeah, everything's delayed now because there's just a ripple effect across the world. So... When that hit, it wasn't just that that hit. What we're already dealing with, and this is more COVID stuff, going back to the COVID question, 
is um, most people don't know this, but the commercial airlines, like when you go on vacation to China, for example, those planes um, move about 80% of the total air freight in the world. Oh, wow. And so when you have all the commercial international flights grounded because of COVID, all of a sudden, all the demand shifts and it's got to go by sea. Oh. And so we were already, I mean, shipping rates are like an all-time, like historic all-time high right now. We're paying double or triple what we used to pay oh to get gosh. stuff over here. And it's because every, all cargo is now mo- moving by ocean. And just a handful of planes. Well, what this, what, like that, ha- like, I can't even talk. Let me rephrase <laughs> that. What happened is we literally ran out of shipping containers in the world. They ran out of shipping containers. Whoa. There was, there was none and, and they couldn't make them fast enough. And so you already have a huge backlog at the ports. And then you have that thing happen in the Suez Canal that like blocked containers from being delivered, unloaded, and then reused for the rest of the world. It was just like. There was a problem that was already horrific, and then that just made it worse, like so much worse. I love this. I didn't even know that. I mean, I don't love it. I feel bad, but it's like we're going deep. We're going deep here about yeah. stuff. I did see a picture that in L.A. there were so many cargo ships waiting, and there were something like two or three weeks. They've been just sitting out there yep. waiting to come into the dock and unload. Yep. Does that have it? What is that? Is that just because now it makes a little more sense if they can't fly the cargo on the planes and they're using more on ships, well, then there's probably more ships that's it. and the ports can't really keep up. Yep. That's exactly it. So, um, yeah. And they, they're just, they're unloading as fast as they can and we still can't keep up with it. So what do they do with all the shipping containers here in America? How do they get them back to China? Oh, we're not sending back all that stuff. Are we like, we're not filling them full of things, are we? You're going deep. So <laughs> I love, sh- I love boats <laughs> apparently. Yeah. We, we used to fill those up with a lot of our recyclable materials and we would send them back with like, you know, when you're putting your stuff in the blue can here, mm-hmm. that's what it would get filled up with. A lot of times we do export a lot of food products to China okay. um, and pork and different like agricultural products. So some of it go, would go with that, but a lot of it's just like this recyclable material. Really? China got full. They're like, we cannot take any more uh, materials to be recycled. So we're done. And so a couple what? of years ago, they refused to take any more of our stuff. And, um, and so a lot of them go back empty, just shipping them empty, put them on a ship and send them back. I mean, who's paying for that? Yeah. It's built into the overall transportation cost. That boat must be so much lighter going back than it is coming over. <laughs> yeah, it's wild, man. It's it's a crazy thing. Because didn't there used to be farms, and maybe there still is, places where it's just like a graveyard of shipping containers? I, but now they probably... I remember New Jersey or somewhere back east. I remember this is probably like five, ten years ago. Yeah. And people were trying to figure out what can we do with all these containers because we have them everywhere. But it sounds like yeah. they're reusing them all now. They're, well, right now, for sure. Like every shipping container in the world, if, if you've got one, I mean, they are snatching it up and putting it to use. But yeah. I'm stuck on this boat thing for a little bit. That's all right. Does the boat and the shipping have anything to do with the lack of toilet paper in the world at the beginning of COVID? <laughs> I wish I wish it was that simple. No, I think we're just crazy. I think people just got excited. All right. So if somebody is looking to make a product right now, stuff in Asia that you're making or even Europe, wherever it is you're manufacturing it, it's going to cost more, not just because like materials might've gone up, but it's a lot of that has to do with the actual shipping process to yeah. get things. Yep. Wow. And, and more. I mean, you, you want to keep diving into this rabbit hole of COVID? 
It gets worse. Any other interesting COVID things oh. that have hit you in 2021 that you're like, wow. Yeah. That's so, a challenge. so here's another one that's related. And I, if this is super nerdy for people, just fast forward this part. But um, so one crazy thing that's impacting everything is IC chips. So basically oh, ev- the chips, the chips, every I've been hearing about the chips. Oh, it's a mess. Everything that's electronic has some kind of IC chip in it. Cause Tesla is not making model S and model X right now because of the chip shortage. Ford just said on their latest re- earnings that I think their sales were going to be down or their production is going to be down like 60% because of the chips. Yes. I've been trying to get these gaming PC parts. Cause I want to do crypto mining here at the house. Like have a few yeah. miners just going, you can't get these graphics cards. Nope. And I'm like, is that because so many crypto miners are out there? Or is it because of this chip shortage? Maybe it's a little bit of both, but yeah. So, okay. So the chip shortage. Yeah. That's, how's that impacting things? So, so I know this much about it, but my understanding is that, um, a couple of the big companies take your apples and Microsoft's of the world. They, with COVID, they didn't know what to anticipate. So they just canceled POs. Well, then people are home and turns out demand actually went like this for a lot of those consumer electronics products. But it just takes a little while to get that engine restarted. So think of a traffic jam. Like if one car slams their brakes, then the four cars behind them have to slam their brakes. And you'll have that ripple effect for like sometimes hours on the freeway. That's kind of what's going on with IC chips in the world right now is they stopped it and then they had to restart it. And there's just this backlog of stuff, even products we're working on. I've got one product in particular that's getting an IC chip from Texas Instruments. We're 364 days out to get a single IT chip from them. Wow. Most of my stuff that we used to get in 24 to 48 hours were 30 to 45 days. And, and you just multiply that across every product that's being produced right now and how that ripples out through the supply chain and it's just causing everything to, to get behind schedule. Okay, this is fun. I knew we were gonna talk about products, but I didn't know we'd go deep into the all the logistics issues. When I okay, when I was at ASU, Arizona State University, that's where I went to college. I got a business management degree, business finance degree. Um, but one of the things I learned while I was there, and it wasn't until my senior year, is that there's a degree on supply chain management. And I didn't even know what supply chain management went. It was like one of my upper level business classes, and they talked about that. And ASU at the time was the best in the country or the world at supply chain management class. And you'd get this massive job out of there. But it basically is just like putting things, making things more efficient, managing the flow of things. But that's a real skill and a real important thing. And <laughs> yeah. there are so many things that have been thrown into the mix here. Um, and it, it is tricky. Like you might be bothered that you can't get a certain product and or something's taking a little bit longer. But there's so many different variables at play that... I didn't even think about. So have you gone back to China at all since this whole thing went down? No, it's been weird because I used to go there at least every quarter for 10 to 14 days. Yeah. My last time in China was actually December of 2019. So I got back just a handful of weeks before they started closing borders and, and before the whole COVID thing hit. And, and no, I haven't been back. We've got a full-time team over there, which is awesome. We're in, in regular communication with them, but... Uh, it's yeah, it's been weird. My parents just left. I don't think people on the podcast know this, but my parents just went on a church mission to Hong Kong and they're going to live there for 18 months. They just left, I don't know, four weeks ago, something like that. And in order to go there, it was really interesting because talking about the airplane travel, they were in LAX. They were sending me pictures. They did like a blog post on it. There's nobody in the airport. It's like airplane yeah. employees. Some of the ones from China were wearing full body white like hazmat suits wow. and masks, which these were like the stewardess and stuff. Yeah. On the plane. I'm like, well, that's pretty intense. But then 
they had to do this like PCR test at some local certified place. They have nothing here within like 80 miles of where we live. Like we had to go, they had to either go to Las Vegas or go to Salt Lake city. So they went to Salt Lake city, stayed that and stayed the night, did their test. It came back negative and you have to do that within so many hours of your flight. And they get to LAX and it takes about 30 minutes at the gate for the airplane employee to come up to you and verify. They actually go on to the website, wherever you booked your, you did your test and verify. And one of the guys that was there, he didn't remember where it was. And so even though he did a lot of the pre-work, he couldn't go on the flight Dang. to Hong Kong. So then they fly for like 15, 16 hours, get to Hong Kong. And once they get there, they say, get ready for three to 15 hours of customs. Whoa. And so they get off the plane, they put them in a different room. And what they would do for the testing is they, right when you get there, even though you have all the paperwork that they verify, they do a nasal swab and mm-hmm. they see if they run that test. And then they do an anal swab. Nope. Nope. <laughs> no. I'm not yep. I'm not traveling. <laughs> Every single foreigner, if you're a Chinese national or Chinese citizen, you don't have to do the anal one. Oh it's my just gosh. Foreigners. And I feel like it's kind of like a, <laughs> a middle finger to all the people that are just like calling it China virus or whatever from the yeah. beginning. They're just like, Oh, you think it came from us? Okay, you're gonna come into our country. <laughs> Bend over, here you go. Get an anal probe you. <laughs> yeah. And so they had to do that test. There's two different COVID tests you do. Right now I saw an article Japan's government is petitioning to the Chinese government because Japanese people are so great, but they also have their honor and their dignity, maybe a little bit, I don't know, I don't want to say more than the Americans, but they do feel some shame about certain things. Sure. And so they are like, please stop making our citizens have to have this anal swab when we come to your country. <laughs> so like people are petitioning oh. and China's still just doing it. And so, but then after that, they did those tests, they came back negative. Then they take you to a hotel and they like take you on this little bus and they take you to a hotel and you're in this hallway. And they, once, once they shut you in the door, there's a sign on the door that says, if you leave this room, you will be fined 25,000 Hong Kong dollars, whatever that is. And, and so for 21 days, you have wow. to sit in your room. It's a beautiful view, uh-huh. but you have to wash your clothes by hand, dry them by hand in, the, in there. It took three days for them to dry their clothes. And she's like, yeah, we're not washing our clothes again. I'd here. go nuts. And then you open up the door and you look down the hallway and there's chairs in front of every door that that is a like COVID person waiting wow. for the 21 days. And the whole floor was just people just waiting. And they test your temperature and something else every day. Nope. And so anyway, it was this process. It was really, really interesting. And so just watching that process, I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to Asia anytime <laughs> soon. Like, nope. I really want to take my family to the Philippines and Leslie wants to go there. But also, I, could, I don't see the point of like you going to China to check out factories when you have to go quarantine for 21 days. No. And then what happens when you come back? You got to do that when you get back here. So, yeah. yeah. The world is still a different place. It feels it's, normal in our little town. But when you open up your eyes a little bit and look at all of the supply chain stuff, yeah, it's it's a mess. We've still got a little bit to work through, yeah. for sure. I mean, I do feel bad, obviously, for people like in India where they still are suffering pretty hard. Like it's yep. hitting hard right now, where we've kind of gone through that, and now it's summertime. Hopefully, it'll get a little bit better. But all right, so what's what's a product you're excited about that you're making here for somebody that's coming up? Is there anything that you can say? It's like, this one looks cool. That's that's the trick. There's so little we can say until they actually come to market. Yeah. You know, we've got NDAs with everybody, but there are some really cool ones. There's a, a consumer electronics one we're working on, the one that we need the IT chip for. Okay. That one's going to be fun. That one's going to be big. Really cool. Um, 
There's another one. I, I could say very little. There's another one that's, you know, with COVID, one thing that we've seen is a lot of people go to telemedicine and mm-hmm. online. And, and one of our clients came up with this brilliant idea to support telemedicine that we're working on okay, that I think cool. is going to go massive. So super excited about that one. So you have a wide range of stuff. It's not just backpacks. Yeah. It's not outdoor stuff or YouTubers, which you do have a few different YouTubers that you're making products for that are much bigger than us that sell a lot more product. And then you have tech companies, pretty much a wide range of people. It, yeah, it's a wide range. So we started with the outdoor gear because that was my passion. But then a lot of the 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 methods you use to manufacture outdoor gear, I mean, they work just as good for consumer products, home products, or, or medical products. The medical is one we kind of got pulled into slowly, um, a little with a little bit of my own resistance because I wanted to tread carefully there. But um, once you figure it out and do the work to, to really get into the nitty gritty of it, it's man, there's a lot of opportunity there. So that's awesome. Well, I think this has been a really fun podcast. I think we are going to end it here. If you um, want to get in touch with Josh, you can, we'll put his info in the description of the YouTube video on what's inside podcast. I don't know how we do that on Spotify or Apple. So you can just check out product Evo, Josh Taylor, fun conversation. Please let me know in the comments, some of your thoughts about some of the things that we talked about. I thought it was fun. It was really fun. And I love that we can go from Tesla cars to talking to Zach from Jerry Rig Everything to to talking about products and supply chains and big boats. Um, This podcast is a wide range of things, but I love hearing inside of the minds of people that are super interesting to see how things are made and created. And hopefully you learned something today about the back end of how things are made and created that maybe you'll be able to appreciate a little bit more. Next time you see one of those boats or see one of those funny memes, you'll be like, oh, that's, that still <laughs> is really funny. But man, that's definitely impacting the world and in some way impacting you in a way that now maybe you know a little bit more about that. So anyway, Josh, thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah. Appreciate it. It was fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. And uh, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple, give it a five star, please. I heard that that's a good thing on Apple that you need those. And then if you are on the YouTube channel, go ahead and subscribe and give this video a like and give us a comment about something in there. And we definitely read the comments on there. Once we hit 100,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel, we are going to give away a few different YouTube silver play buttons. And then the gold one, if we hit that, we'll do the same thing. So anyway, that's the What's Inside podcast. I am Dan Markham. Thanks for listening. Thank you.